Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's just a joy to have you in God's house. Just take a moment, if you will, and notice the sunshine that's pouring in. One of the best things about springing forward is that it means that spring will come again. My wife and kids and I went to Canadian Tire yesterday just to take it all in. This is the time of year when they begin to uh, swing the store around to have some spring goods on display, and that is literally one of our happiest moments. I just want to say hi to all the Grace kids who are here. Just want to say that I see you guys and I love you guys. I'm so glad you're in church. And parents, thank you for being brave and bringing your kids to church. I just wanted to mention to those of you who are watching and to those of you who are here that if you have been part of our Grace Kids ministry in the past, please begin summoning the strength you will need to rejoin that ministry uh, sometime later this year. As uh, vaccines begin to work their way into our culture and as the rules slowly begin to uh, ease, we will have a day, I believe this year, perhaps later on in the, this year, perhaps late third quarter, maybe fourth quarter, where our kidsmen will be able to relaunch. And in case you forgot, we have one 149 kids who are parts of our Grace Kids ministry. It's easy to forget in times like these with such sparse physical attendance how big this church is and how many kids we have who will need you to help lead them into God's presence every Sunday. So tuck that away in your heart. If God's been talking to you about that, uh, know that your time will come. Also wanted to just let you know that we have, I think the number is now up to 18 small groups that are meeting throughout the city. And uh, if you ever pop by Grace North, there's a map there that shows you where they're all located and it's color-coded. I'll make sure that that's online for you as well so you can see where the groups are located throughout the city. Some of them are uh, gathered around affinity. Some of them are gathered around particular interests. Some of them are sermon-based. Um, there's for sure a group that would be a good fit for you. So if you've been thinking, if you've been feeling like the Lord is calling you to engage with a small group, you can do so by hitting our website, gracecommunity.ca front slash small groups. And uh, just in case you think they're not meeting in COVID times, they definitely are meeting. And uh, you can pop in and check one of those out anytime. We're working our way through the first 12 chapters in the book of Exodus to begin 2021. Hope that you've been enjoying this series. Please remember to uh, pray for me throughout the week. When you preach a series like this, it can become um, a bit of a grind. It can become difficult. The text is um, not easy to work with, and finding a way to interpret an ancient book like this in a way that has resonance for a modern audience uh, is a tall task, and it requires um, spiritual vitality above all else. And uh, I'm sure you can imagine what it might be like to uh, preach week in and week out, year in and year out. Um, I've passed well over 600 sermons now in my career as a preacher, and the task of staying fresh, staying lively, staying connected to the Spirit in a real way so that when you step up here you're not faking it uh, is not as easy as it might look. So please do pray for me. I do need uh, your prayer support on a weekly basis. I hope uh, this morning that ultimately two things happen. God gets His glory. That's always a primary goal for me when I preach. And secondarily, I hope that you get your joy that you leave uh, this service more encouraged than when you came in. We're taking 12 steps to freedom as we work our way through this series, and as we get closer to the end of the series, this series will finish right before Easter. So my recap gets longer and longer, and that's quite a beautiful thing. I'll eventually have the recap available for you online so you can download it at the end of this series, maybe uh, put it on your fridge or in your workstation. Week one, we took step one, which is to remember that God's hand is upon you. Step two was to remember that God is involved, that he hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows. 
Step three was to listen and let it happen. This is also known as God is the action hero. The suggestion, of course, is to let him do what he's good at. Step four was to let your belief lead you into action. Step five, dig deep, because life tends to get worse before it gets better. I'm sure that you've experienced that. Step six was to remember how this works. God is the one who promises. We are the ones who obey. Step seven was to remember that the more you obey, the easier life gets. This is a core teaching that we sometimes forget. We think obedience is static, like I'm obedient, but it's not. Obedience is dynamic. And the more you obey, the easier life gets. Step eight was to choose wisely. And last week, we, we took step nine, which is to remember, I love this one, that you are the problem. I am the problem. This week, we take step 10, which is to remember to ask yourself this question. Am I living in darkness or in the light? And I get this out of Exodus chapter 10. Here it is for you out of the English Standard Version. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and our herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But Pharaoh said to them, The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. 
So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from their place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones may also go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord our God until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let him go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. So I'm trying to help you remember to ask yourself the question, Am I living in darkness or in the light? So to help you ask that question... I'm going to take you to six things that you can ask yourself the next time you find yourself at the end of your rope. That's what's happening here in this story for Pharaoh. He's really getting close to the end of his rope. We see this particularly when he cries out for mercy a little later in the chapter. So he's getting really close to the end of his rope here. So if you ever find yourself nearing the end of your rope, or rather next time you find yourself approaching the end of your rope, you will hopefully remember at least one of these six questions you can ask yourself as found in Exodus chapter 10. First question you should ask yourself is this, is my life characterized by show, tell, and know? Show, tell, know. I get this out of verses 1 and 2. Notice what God says to Moses, that I may show so that you may tell, so that you may know. You see that there on screen in verses 1 through 2? Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Here it is, that I may show these signs of mine, and that you may tell it in the hearing of your son and your grandson, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, so that you may know that I am the Lord. Show, tell, know. The point here is simple, that God shows forth his glory so that you will tell it to the members of your family. And remember, in Judaism, your family is more than just your immediate family, right? It's meant to be understood as clan. It's almost like the size of a village, right? Most Jewish families in that age of the world were the size of a small village. So you're meant to share what you see God doing with those around you. God shows forth his glory so that you will talk about it. And what is the reason behind the talking about it? So that we will know that God is the Lord. So that you may know, in my notes here, it's you within brackets and S, use, so that yous may know. Because the you here in the Hebrew is the plural you. This is one of the key reasons for us to routinely and repeatedly experience the life of God. So that as we see the life of God at work all around us, we are emboldened to speak about what we see God doing to those within our sphere of influence so that together we can be encouraged to continue believing that God is the Lord. So let me just ask you perhaps to call to mind something amazing you've seen God do recently. And if it's been a long while since you've seen God do something amazing, let me invite you to ask him to show himself to you. This is one of the key things that God does. When we read the story of God and his people again and again and again, he is showing up. 
He likes to show forth his glory to his people so they will talk about it so that together we can know that God is the Lord. Have I seen anything amazing lately? Also ask yourself the second question, how long will I continue to hold on? We get this right out of verse 3. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? This is perhaps the part where you say, touche preacher. Are you an obstinate person? I know this came up a couple weeks ago. Let me just say that I am one of the most obstinate people I know. And somebody said, yeah, we know. Right? It's very hard to get me off mission. It's very hard to get me off of something I've decided I'm going to do. That can be a very good character trait. It makes me a pretty good leader. It makes me pretty good at turning things around. It makes me pretty good at dealing with difficult situations. You might be wired the same way. But obstinacy can become off-putting. So how do we deal with this? We don't want to be like Pharaoh holding on to something for too long, holding on to something that we should let go. So how do you deal with obstinacy if that happens to be a gift of yours, but you don't want to let it run amok? You can ask yourself two questions to deal with obstinacy. One, I want to make sure that I know who Yahweh is for real. Okay, if you know who God is for real, there's a much better chance that your hard-headedness will be put to good use. That your hard-headedness, that your um, obstinacy will become a force for good in the world. Do you really know who God is? This takes us back to the equation we introduced some months ago. To really know who God is. You need Bible every day. You need worship on the way. You need to ask yourself, what would Jesus say? Bible every day, the reason we immerse ourselves in God's word every day is so that we come to the point where we intuitively understand his story. This is what the Bible ultimately is, the story of God and his people. And I cannot encourage you enough to go deep into the story of God and his people so that you will have for yourself the kind of spiritual resiliency reserved for God's saints. There's almost nothing worse than an ignorant Christian. Someone who claims to follow Jesus but doesn't really know what Jesus is about and doesn't really know what Jesus really does. And the only way to learn these things is with Bible every day. Secondly, worship on the way. Why do we worship throughout our day? Why should you have worship music in your car on your drive to work? Why should you have worship music at your home if you're working from home? Why should you have the praises of the king echoing in the chambers of your house as a routine thing so that your children grow up hearing worship music in your house. Why? When we worship, we experience the voice of God speaking to our hearts. Okay, we worship God because he's worthy of it. That's one of the reasons we worship every week in church. But tell me that you've never experienced the voice of God in a worship context? I don't think anybody would say that. You may not experience it routinely, but for sure you can think about a moment where God spoke to you clearly in the context of gathered worship. This is why we worship on the way, so that we can begin to recognize the voice of God. Why do we need to recognize the voice of God? So that in every situation, when we ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus say? The answer comes to mind. Are you with me? The answer comes to mind because we recognize the voice of God from routine worship and we know what God is about from understanding his word. Bible every day, worship on the way, what would Jesus say? That's the first way to deal with your obstinacy. The second way to deal with your obstinacy is to develop a quick twitch, bow the knee response. Okay, the second God shows up, drop to your knees. I'm not saying necessarily physically. It might be fun to try it a couple times. 
I did this in my younger years. I used to bow to pray, so I used to kneel beside my bed to pray all through my teenage years. In fact, up into my 20s, I would still do that routinely. But then get to the point when you sense the voice of God speaking to you that you bow your will before him. You say quickly, yes, Lord. Develop that kind of quick twitch, bow the knee response to God when he shows up. One of the ways to do this, I can help you practically here, is to obstinately love selflessly. If you take your hard-headedness and you apply it to loving people selflessly, which is kind of the whole point of the New Testament, to learn the love of God and the love of people, and it's agape love, self-giving love that does no harm. So if you're a hard-headed person, be hard-headed about loving selflessly. Somebody say amen. I got you. And also ask yourself if you're the emperor with no clothes. <laughs> I love this point. Verse 7. Pharaoh's servants arguing with him after Moses and Aaron have left his presence. It's like they're saying, are, are you, have you taken leave of your senses? Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? This is a powerful point. The word for ruined here is lost. Do you not yet understand? Ki avda mitzrayim. Avda has been lost. Mitzrayim, Egypt. Do you not yet understand that Egypt has been lost? Chris Jones probably knows where I'm going with this. I hope maybe one or two of you know where I'm going with this. People, oh, I love this. Newsflash. People are unaware of their lostness. They don't even know. You ever met somebody like this? I'm going to ask you to do something bold here or suggest that you do something bold here. You ever met somebody who says to you, maybe they're your friend, neighbor, coworker, or peer, you know, I just can't figure out why my life is so miserable all the time. The more you get to know people, the more you realize how truly screwed up most people's lives are. And as you develop relationship with these people, you will come to a point guaranteed where they ask you that question someday. You know, I, do you have it? Is your life as screwed up as mine? I have no idea why my life is so miserable all the time. Here's the bold thing I'm going to ask you to do. If you have relationship with this person, okay, do not do this as a street evangelist, all right? No. But if you know the person, if you have a relationship with them, and they ask you that question, just boldly say, um, the reason your life is so miserable all the time is because you're living as an enemy of God, sold as a slave to sin, and sin kills. It's a guaranteed conversation stopper. <laughs> guaranteed. It's almost guaranteed to make all the blood drain from their face, and they might slap you. But here's the reason to say such a thing. Okay, hear me now. Because it's true. It's true. And this is where you have to become an evangelist. Okay, and God has committed to you the work of evangelism. You're his ambassadors pleading with the world, be reconciled to God. And so once in a while, when you have the opportunity to answer someone's question about the desperate nature of their life with the honest and true answer about their sin problem, please do it. Because even if the blood drains from their face and they slap you, you can bet that at some point in the weeks to come, as they lie in their bed late at night, this will become a splinter in their mind. And they will begin wondering about it. And their life will prove your statement true. And what this will do is this will lead them to the end of their rope, where they will discover Jesus. You need to remember that God is drawing all people unto himself all the time. 
And so he's using their question as part of that symphony, and he's using your honest answer as part of that symphony, and he is the one who cares about their salvation more than you ever will. So answer the question honestly. At the end of your rope, make sure that you are clothed with the righteousness that comes from deep friendship with God. And ask yourself, is this my fault? That's question four. We get it out of verses uh, 16 and 17. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. This is kind of the turning point in Pharaoh's story. He admits it here, I have sinned. Not just against Yahweh, I have sinned against you. Now therefore, plead with the Lord your God. Forgive my sin. It cannot be overemphasized how important it is here that Pharaoh asks for forgiveness. Forgive my sin. And this is really powerful. Because in the original language here, forgive my sin reads this way. Ve'ata sana chatati. Ve'ata, and now, sana, please carry chatati, my sins. Please carry my sin. And gee, I wonder who Pharaoh was really talking about here. Does anybody know what I'm about to quote? He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24. And in case we missed it, bore means carried. He him, hallelujah. He himself carried our sins in his body upon the cross. Just in case you ever wondered why Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why was he in such anguish upon the cross? Besides the fact that he was being crucified. He was in such anguish because he was bearing the sins of the world in his body upon the tree. It's that kind of realization that will lead you to worship. If you ever have a hard time, or rather, next time you find yourself having a hard time worshiping Jesus, remind yourself that he carried your sins, and not just your sins, but the sins of the world in his body upon the tree. And sa, carry, is from the root sha, which is the second half of the word yasha, which means save, from which we get the name Yeshua, our Jesus. Which is why I get to say to you, it's my favorite point in the whole sermon. We broke the world. Once you realize it and the burden of that realization becomes too much to carry, lay it before Jesus. Here it is, because he's the sin carrier. He is the sin carrier. And next, get used to living a life of asking yourself the fifth question, am I walking in darkness or in the light? We get this from verses 21 through 23. I'm just going to paraphrase it here for the sake of time. God says to Moses, stretch out your hands and bring darkness, a darkness to be felt. So Moses did so, and there was darkness in Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone get up out of their place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So this is supernatural darkness. You can bet they were trying to light a lamp in Egypt, but the lamp was not lighting. 
Yet in the land where the people of Israel dwelled, the light was shining. Four quick points out of these three verses here. A darkness to be felt. Can you relate? Have you ever found yourself in a season or in a moment where you feel the darkness? This happened to me two weeks ago. I woke up at three in the morning with an evil presence in our bedroom. Had to banish it. It's happened to me a few times in my life, typically in seasons of ministerial difficulty, by the way. A darkness that could be felt, perhaps you can relate. I just want to say, if you feel the darkness pressing against you, it's not the first time it's ever happened, it's not the last time it's ever happened, and greater is he who is in you, hallelujah, than he who is in the world. So do not be afraid of the darkness that can be felt. Notice the effects of the darkness. They did not see one another. Somebody shout at this preacher. Is this a description of our culture or what? How many people do you know who are busily living their lives never seeing, really seeing the people around them? Okay, let me remind you today to see your spouse, to see your kids, to see your friends, to see your coworkers. Do not be the kind of person who looks through somebody eager to find the next more important person to speak to. They did, this struck fear. They did not see one another. Tell me this isn't a picture of our world. Nor did anyone rise from their place for three days. If that's not a picture of depression and anxiety, I don't know what is. You should be saying, touche, preacher. That's me, preacher. I've been in seasons like that in my life. Have you ever been in a season like that where you can't get out of bed? It's not the first time it's ever happened. It's not the last time it'll ever happen. So turn your gaze to Jesus, the one who makes dead things live. Turn your gaze to Jesus, the one who is the light. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. You know what the word is here for where they lived? Bemoshavtam, in their settlements. Is Matthew 5 echoing in your heart and mind even as I preach this section? You are the light of the world, a city on the hill which cannot be hidden. Neither do they let a lamp and put it under a bowl, but they put it on its stand and it gives light to all who are in the Moshavah, to all who are in the house, to all who are in the settlement. Let your light so shine before the world that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Church, have you forgotten that you are the light of the world's? All God's people, hallelujah, had light where they lived. If you're looking for a new life goal, you found it this morning. Be the light of the world. And ask yourself, question six, uh, am I on a faith journey or am I headed for destruction? And Josh and Kath and Will, you can join me because I'm almost done. Am I on a faith journey or am I headed for destruction? I get this out of verses 24 through 29 as we close. So Moses is called to Pharaoh once again. And Pharaoh says, go ahead, serve the Lord. You can take everything but your livestock. Moses is like, no, we need to take our livestock. Why? Okay, it's really important to see why. Our livestock must go with us. Why? Because we must take them to serve the Lord our God. Why? For we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Okay, hang on to that for just a moment. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care to never see my face again. From the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Two things are happening here that are really important. I want to invite you to notice. One, notice that Moses and God's people are not sure what's going to happen when they get there. But they're still going to go. 
Can somebody say hallelujah in this house? Somebody say hallelujah, right? That's what faith looks like. You're not sure what's going to happen, but you're still going. We know the Bible, right? So we know this is an echo of Genesis 12. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, says God to Abraham, and go. Where? To a land that I will show you. You don't get a road map in advance. You don't know how the story ends before you take your place in it. And yet you go. That is what faith looks like. My definition of faith, you may find it somewhat robust. Perhaps it's nowhere near enough for you. But this is how I've defined faith all the years of my life. Faith is believing in something you can't see and then taking immediate and irreversible action based on that unseen belief. Faith is the bedrock of the Christian experience. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, the scripture teaches. Therefore, the great Bible preacher, R.W. Tozer, is famous for saying, find the situation where faith is possible. If you're looking for a way to orient your life, that's how you need to orient your life. If you know, listening to me today, that your life is not oriented in such a way that faith comes easy, it's time to lay the ax to your comfortable life. It's time to find the situation where faith is possible. That's the first thing I want you to notice. The second thing I want you to notice as I close is this. Pharaoh has no idea what's actually coming. I mean, somebody say woo, like how good is that point? He has no idea what's coming. The next time you see my face, you shall die. I don't want to spoil the story for you, but we won't get to that part of the story until the next time we pick up the book of Exodus. Because I'm only going to chapter 12. But after the events of chapter 12, as Pastor Josh, unbeknownst to me, read from this morning, the Israelites find themselves at the shore of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army bearing down upon them. And right before the army overtakes them, Moses raises his staff above the Red Sea and the waters part and the Israelites go through on dry ground. And as they get to the other side, Pharaoh and his armies rush into the sea after them. And when they're in the midst of it, the Lord God causes the waters to crash down upon the Egyptians. And so the last time Pharaoh ever saw Moses' face, it was as the water crashed down upon him and Moses looked upon him. I wonder with pity, I wonder with satisfaction, I wonder with love, I wonder if they had a relationship he looked down upon him from the northeastern shore that's what was what truly was going to happen and Pharaoh had no idea so let me point out that God's people were on a faith journey headed home and God's enemies were headed for destruction and they had no clue where are you headed this is the business of life to figure that out. Where am I headed? The business of life is not comfort. The business of life is not ease. The business of life is not prosperity. The business of life for the Christian is figuring out where you fit in God's story and where he is taking you. This is the business of the Christian life, to know where you're headed, to not live in ignorance, to not live sold as a slave to sin, but rather to walk in concert, in step with the God of the universe. Do you know where you are headed? And how about your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, your peers? Do you know where they're headed? Are you concerned about them? Does your heart ache for their salvation? Are you acting like it? Are you taking every opportunity you have to speak to them, to sing to them, to testify to them about the glory and the beauty of Christ? 
Or has your Christianity become a routine that you've mostly even laid aside in this year as you've forgotten to go to church and it's just become something you don't do anymore? Are you in your Bible every day? Do you still worship on the way? Do you know what Jesus would say moment to moment, situation to situation? Or are you living and acting like somebody who has no idea how the story ends? And since we're asking ourselves questions, have you seen the Lord lately? Are you continuing to refuse to bow the knee? Are you the emperor with no clothes? Is this your fault? Are you walking in darkness or in the light? Is your life a faith journey or a self-obsessed trudge to destruction? Are you at the end of your rope today? If you are, now you know why and what to do about it. So make sure that this week you let the light in. And somebody said, Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you're leaving feeling encouraged. If you have any questions for us or you'd like to pay us a visit, you can find all the info you need on our website, gracecommunity.ca.